When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, Internet Wanderers. Welcome back to another episode of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton, and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin, and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a new podcast where we give our completely unnecessary professional opinions on the lives, minds, and relationships in all of your favorite movies. Hey, J.D., will there be learning? Uh Uh-huh. Will there be science? Yes, God. Will there be delightfully informal conceptualizations about the minds of non-real people from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? If you insist, Joe. <laughs> Yay, we're back. We're back. We did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. Hooray. All of a sudden, I owe Nick Jr. a million dollars. Another week, another podcast. With a lawsuit attached. Love it. If we get another ceased and desist... I tell you what, I know. I'm it's just I'm getting sick of that. I'm the WeHo ceased and desissy. <laughs> <laughs> that is an amazing nickname. Thank you. Uh, the courts gave it to me. the The legal system. It yeah. felt it felt it was rude assigned at first. to you. Yeah. By the media, I was assigned sissy at birth. <laughs> um, <laughs> how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, we are recording this kind of in advance. Caddy Wampus. Because our birthdays are coming up. Yeah. Uh, and so we are getting this one done uh, kind of at the same time as we're recording our last episode. Call me by your name, but uh, because we want to celebrate our birthdays. Yeah. We're both, we're almost exactly a year apart, Joanna and I. We're both yeah. deep Pisces. If you couldn't tell by how incredibly <laughs> emotionally attuned we are. Yeah. Pisces for real. The empathy of it all. Emotions, Coats. the house down boots, yes, God. <laughs> as, as the drag children would say. I love it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Uh, do you have big birthday plans? I am going to a break bar. Have uh, you heard of those? Wait, you've said this? I think you told me about this once and I couldn't... Yes, wait, wait, wait. Yes, 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 yes. I know what this is. I'm so excited for you. Will you explain what a break bar is? Yes. So, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have heard of, heard of them, but uh, I am, as you might like have gathered a kind of soft-spoken, <laughs> gentle person. <laughs> I don't express 
uh, feelings like anger very much. The best part is I you're literally like... soft spoken, and if you listen to the early episodes, we really yeah. had to like um, Joanna's mic has to be turned up so much higher than mine <laughs> before I got the fancy schmancy. Literal mic. and figuratively soft spoken. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I don't express anger that much, and I realized over the past I don't know year or so with a good therapist that I maybe should express anger sometimes, and that that can be good. So. This break bar is basically this this bar that you go to and they give you like a half an hour and just a bunch of stuff like, uh, you know, electronics, glass, like all of these different things. And you just get to go nuts and break stuff for like 30 minutes. Um, and even the drinks there that you get uh, once you're finished with your glass, you can throw it <laughs> <laughs> and break it. So I'm really, really excited. Amazing. You know. That's a psychological thing that you're doing for your birthday when you think about I it. I know. I'm never, I don't turn it off ever, you know. There is some I really just... interesting research about uh, sort of physical and like aggressive catharsis. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weirdly mixed, it's mixed messages. Because there's there was a big thing in the 90s that was scream therapy. Like er, the early <laughs> right. 90s, which was a very right. like, very like California kind of yeah. thing. And uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joanna, you might know this research better than me, but a lot of the research shows that if you're somebody who's already prone to feeling like angry and feeling like an, an outburst and things like that, engaging in things like punching a punching bag or screaming, do not do much to help resolve the like physiological, like an aggression sort of an anger. But if you're somebody who is slow to anger and it's very hard to get that out, it can be incredibly effective and incredibly cathartic. So it's, it's a weird sort of, if angry is not something you do well, going to angry can be really, really helpful. If yeah, angry is something totally. you do well, going to angry, not a helpful thing. Don't try to amp up your anger to relieve the, the emotion. Yeah, and it may be because of if you're like habitually like using anger as the way you express frustration totally. or totally. being upset, uh, that's probably associated with negative outcomes that you've experienced in the past. Yeah. And, you know, it's just not it's not a helpful thing for you overall. We And we all have different uh, coping strategies that we use. And anger is an emotional coping strategy that is very protective, right? It makes yeah, it, totally. it externalizes a lot of these things. A lot of people go to sadness, a lot of mm-hmm. and, and sort of self punish. A lot of people go to anxiety and try to plan their way out of mm-hmm. the the dissonance that they're feeling within them. Uh, a lot of yeah. people are toxically positive and try to only cope using joy. Right. Um, and so anger is just one other one. So there's not really a trying not to have any judgment about it if that's the thing you go to but it's important to be recognizing these patterns and for you you're noticing anger is not one you go to often and you're trying you're trying to yeah I've tried all other things so I (laughs) I mean it just sounds so fun I just you haven't tried all other things there's a lot of really (laughs) you know uh dangerous and volatile coping strategies you could have tried that you have not yeah yeah, yeah. no I meant like supervised activities sure because that's how I roll that's how I roll (laughs) I'm a I'm Dr. Rules over here. <laughs> uh yeah. But anyways, That's do you amazing. have anything planned? Do you have anything planned for your birthday? You know, I'm really uh, I'm really bad at birthday planning. I actually find myself speaking of naming emotions, I find it I I get very resentful at the the idea of a birthday because it weirdly becomes this thing that then people expect me to plan. And yeah. it's and what's crazy I is I, I don't want someone else to make a big deal and plan a whole birthday for me. But I right. also hate the idea that it's now my job to like 
I don't know, clean my house or something and like have people come and like do a whole thing and tell people a time. And then there's a list of who to invite or who to not invite. So um, I've just decided to, I don't know, see what happens. I usually put this off until like a couple days before and then Mm, we'll be like, I'm going to be at this bar. If anybody wants to come to this bar, you can come to this bar. If you don't, fine. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I get really stressed about it. I should talk about that in my own therapy probably. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm the same way. Like, I hate the idea of me being like, hello, come celebrate me, you know, and like. Yes. It just feels like a lot of pressure. It feels like a lot of pressure. You know, I did have a really amazing birthday uh, two years ago, March 7th, 2020, <laughs> uh, where I had a party at my house. I had just moved into an apartment on my own and it was really nice to like, I was really feeling grown and, and settled and I was very excited to have people over and I had some people over again. We were like, what is this COVID thing? It's crazy. Should we jokingly like talk about washing your hands for 20 seconds or whatever? It was like the week before. The week before. And then the we all down, went yeah. out to a bar and just danced mm-hmm. all night. Uh, my friend is the DJ and would do this night that's only pop music. And oh, so it was cool. just like the best. And because yeah. I was coming, he played a lot of little mix music, which is my <laughs> favorite thing, as Joanna knows. <laughs> and oh, I love it. It was a, an amazing birthday. And then like a minute later, we never danced again. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and my birthday was like on a Saturday. This year, my birthday's on a Monday. So I'm a little bit like, yeah. I was thinking about taking the day off work and cleaning out my storage unit. And just Ooh, kind of feeling plan. like cleansed of that. <laughs> yeah. But then I realized that um, I waited too long and I couldn't get the time off work clinically and I would have to ask somebody else to cover my emergent right, appointment right. and things like that. And so I was like, eh, I'll just work. <laughs> I'll just work. <laughs> That's the 2022 brand. I hope not, but. Yeah, TBD. Anyways. Let's right. get into it. Let's do it. Okay, so I get to pick the movie this week. Okay. Um, so I picked a film from what? 1998. A film. A film. 1998. A Joanna, you're really honing in on my window of movies I know, lately. I'm so sorry. It's honestly like I own those nine years of the late late 90s, early 2000s. I'm infringing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's from 1998. Okay. And this is the tagline. They figured he was a lazy, time-wasting slacker. They were right. Billy Madison? Mm-mm. I, I don't... He was a lazy... I've seen this. Time-wasting slacker. Uh, 98. Goodwill Hunting? Mm-mm. Um, they would have been wrong, right? That's true. Um, I, need, I need more. I need more information. Uh, this movie, which is something I'm looking forward to talking about, is for some reason like every straight guy's the Big Lebowski movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> this is payback for my Fast and the Furious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This movie, like, I I want to talk about it so badly because, like, literally every heterosexual man. This is my dad's favorite movie. This is my friend, like, all my oh, friends' yeah. dad's favorite movie. Oh yeah. The I want to dig abides. into it. The dude yeah. abides. I remember watching this, I think in college, uh, and and my roommate in college, Logan, uh, who was the dude in so many ways. And he got he and I got along great. Like best yeah. guy. Super, super straight. But he loved this movie. And I remember watching it one time, like in the in the lounge of my like 
very outdoorsy dorm. And all the guys were like, this is, yeah, this, this, this fucking guy, this fucking guy. And I was just like (laughs) watching it being like, I don't understand what's happening. There are no stakes. Um, (laughs) So yeah, this is a great pick. Yeah, I have watched this really movie. juxtaposing from the one that I picked last week. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've watched this movie with ex-boyfriends for obvious reasons and just totally don't And that's get it. why they're ex-boyfriends, Joanna. <laughs> Here's the benefit of being gay. I've never seen this with an ex-boyfriend. That's you're so lucky. Do you know what I have seen? Enough starring Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> well, everyone's seen that. Everyone cool. You know who hasn't seen that? People who have seen The Big Lebowski. (laughs) There's no overlap. There's no overlap. (laughs) Woof. All right. I'm very excited to see. I'm I'm, excited I'm nervous that I'm just going to like run. But I'm just going to be like, I don't know. I feel bullied. I got to go. Well, (laughs) this is like, yeah, The Fast and the Furious where I was just like so mad. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like I just. I couldn't figure out what to talk about, and I was just like, yeah, it was it was tough. Ornery. We got to do it. We got to do it. <laughs> yeah, we got to do it. We got to do it. Uh, All right. Yeah. I love this. Oh, is that our, is that our outro music? Yeah, I, I hear that. Hark. Hark. <laughs> <laughs> Hark. <laughs> All right. Okay, y'all. We're already we high, apparently, yep. for this movie. So. <laughs> we will be right back. I regret choosing this movie. (laughs) You know, here's the thing. I was so displeased with this choice. And then I started doing the research and I got really fired up. And I got really, really into it. And I got really, like, I got hyped. I got hyphy. I had the opposite experience. Well. Yeah. I mean, I think... What was surprising to me, I just kind of anecdotally was like, man, men are really obsessed with this movie. And (laughs) then I was like Googling it and there are just so many blogs, essays, academic like philosophy papers and published books on deconstructing The Big Lebowski. Uh, Overwhelmingly written by men, by the by. What? (laughs) That's because, I mean, truly, I don't remember, I don't, I did not remember the plot of this film. Oh, I mean, because it's very, Um, it's not really about the plot. It's not about the plot. Uh, Should we jump into the synopsis and then we'll kind of, yeah. So what the hell even happens? I mean, uh, uh, the, the, the dude who goes by the name, the dude, Mm -hmm. whose name is Jeffrey Lebowski. Uh, it starts off with him being sort of uh, mistaken for a millionaire named Jeffrey with Lebowski. Yes. With the same name. Uh, and so they separate the two in the film as one is the dude and one is the big Lebowski. The, big Le- the millionaire yeah. is the big Lebowski. Uh, and he is mistaken and that he is attacked in his home by people trying to get money from him uh, that his wife owes them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... I mean, I'll, I, then what happens, then Joanna? Then one of those perpetrators uh, oh, yeah, pees on, pees his, on his rug. rug. And that really uh, Sets off a sequence yeah, of events. Yes. 
he is the dude is also very into bowling. That's a very large part of this movie is this simple pleasure of bowling with his two friends, Walter and Donnie. Um, he brings up this, uh, you know, injustice that occurred to him and Walter insists on him, you know, demanding, uh, you know, repayment. A replacement yeah. rug. Because the rug really brought the room together. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> the rug bringing the room together. The rug brings the room. So he tries to get this millionaire to give him the buy him a new rug mm-hmm. because he was like, people are trying to clear your debts and they peed on my rug. And this guy completely rejects him and says like, it's not my rug, it's not my issue, you're it's your bum. issue, it's your rug. You're yeah. a bum. You're a freeloader. Um, and then it sets off all of these events where his young wife, who's getting in all the debt, who's Tara Reed, who, by the way, when I first moved to Los Angeles, Tara Reed was my next door neighbor. What? And would wake me up almost every single morning screaming at her dog outside of my window. <laughs> uh, and her mom lived on the, like, she lived on one side of me and her mom lived on the other side of me. It Wild. was a very strange thing. Wild. Yeah. So basically, I'm in this movie. <laughs> Uh, but anyways, sorry, that is a deep name drop aside. That's not even a good name drop. <laughs> anyways, so he then, um, the, the wife goes missing. The young wife, Tara Reed, goes missing. Uh, he, they try to get the dude to do this, like, million-dollar drop-off. He's going to get some money. John Goodman comes with him. That's his, that's his friend Walter and messes everything up. Mm-hmm. John Goodman tries to, like, take over and then decides they're going to steal the money and then decides all this stuff. Brings guns and things and is just a really mess. Trigger happy. Really bombastic, trigger happy. I mean, we'll he's a veteran, right? He's a yeah Vietnam vet, um, and uh, there's lots of white Russians that are having the the the, al- the beverage, yes. the alcohol, the cocktail, yes. not the ethnicity and and race. Yes. Um, I think he does call it a Caucasian at one point. At one point, yeah. he does call it a Caucasian yeah. at one point. Um, there's a lot of white Russians in this film, y'all. Like, a lot. Uh, and then there's just this mess. I, I almost want to just summarize by there's this, like, weird mess of things where you don't know who actually got kidnapped and who actually went missing. There are just and several groups of people who want money from somebody. Uh, several groups of people want money from somebody. Everybody's kind of an idiot. Yeah. Everybody's kind of an absurd sort of cartoon comic book version of an idiot. They're literally given different names, like the nihilists, and we've got the like the the Jewish convert nationalist. Mm-hmm. We've got the like like all of these different sort of philosophical, religious like schools of thought mm-hmm. that are straight up named. One is as a conscientious objector. Right. Like uh, all of these different people have all of these sort of philosophical sort of names throughout. Um, but I mean. Ipso facto, heretofore, in the end, the dude is sort of cleared of all well, he the drama out and trauma. What really happened? Where this he money figures out what really happened. Is, the was... Big Lebowski actually duped him. Yeah. Because the Big Lebowski doesn't actually have money. Yeah. And then he gets the, his daughter pregnant. <laughs> so this kind of uh, you know misadventure of ever increasing stakes turns out to be nothing and. You know, there's actually really little change in the dude's life after this all ends besides his apartment's been trashed and he still doesn't have a carpet or, yeah, I think he still doesn't have a carpet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really wild, whatever Yeah, there's a lot of, like, surrealist things as well. There's, like, kind of two dream sequences that the dude has, uh, you know, it's this very stream of consciousness rambling 
narrative in quotes. Like it's a very loose story. Yeah. I mean, I really don't get a lot of it. I It was hard for me to care about a lot of it. Yeah. But there's a lot there. There and I think, and here's there. the thing, I think this is similar to what we found with, with uh, The Fast and the Furious, right? This movie is not for us. Correct. Neither of us feels reflected or, or like seen in this film. Totally, yeah. I mean, th- but it is like inarguably a cultural phenomenon. It is a huge cultural phenomenon and straight white men love this love movie so let's get into why. <laughs> yeah, so you know, like I did I did some some research. To be honest with you, I got very overwhelmed with the research that I found. Um and so I'm going to do my best to kind of make sense out of this because again, like we said, this movie is not for us. And so It is not for us. I'm trying In fact, to do, it's do my best. Proactively racist. There's a, I mean proactively there's a lot of, sexist. Yeah, there's a lot of of issues um it's gross yeah but you know one of the kind of accounts that i was reading about was the dude and what he represents right obviously it's a big question um and you know the dude is really has this uh faith in you know kind of going with the flow there's a i mean in real life there's a satirical kind of religion called dudism that's based on Taoism. And so, Ugh. you know, <laughs> so Taoism really, you know, referring to uh, becoming one with the flow of the universe, not trying to achieve too much. And these are uh, like based off of the dude's behavior. You can see that he very much abides by these kinds of values. Um, he what? Abides by the these dude values. Abides. The dude abides. That is his last line in the film and one of the, the sort of catchphrases of it And all. that's, I mean, even one of these, uh, they have like, which, like a, what are they called? Gatherings, like fest. There's Lebowski Fest. And there's uh, a, a UK version called The Dude Abides uh, in uh, London. And so, you know, he's this very centered, present person he has like issues with his short-term memory like he like forgets what he's talking about as he's speaking well he's stoned all the time yeah he's He's drunk all the time he's very in the moment right like because he like because of substance use because of other things he cannot recall (laughs) the past he can only be in the moment um and you know he also seems to be uh really detached from desire he enjoys pleasurable things right like he enjoys bowling he enjoys like kind of uh driving his car but he doesn't seem to be overly attached to these things and he kind of seems content with who he he is right which is this kind of not very high achieving person and he but he also doesn't feel like he doesn't belong in certain spaces like he walks into the big lebowski's house without any uh you know, like intimidation or anything. He just goes in as like, you owe me a rug, right? He's not preoccupied with status or wealth or anything. He seems fairly comfortable with how he's chosen to live his life, which is honestly very humble, uh, you know, like uh, his his quality of life. But he doesn't seem very yeah. concerned about that. Um, yeah, we don't know. He He's not employed. He doesn't, we don't know how he's supposed to pay his rent, 
Yeah, I mean, which like he specifically the, gets called out on. Yeah, although it's this neighbor, I think, or the his landlord, the landlord who comes mm-hmm. and is honestly seems more interested in the dude as like an artistic advisor. Yeah, uh, and, and then the rent is an afterthought. It's like shaman, right? And so I think that's kind of he has this effortless self acceptance or like contentment that Ugh. I think people, you know, uh, resonate or not resonate with. They admire, and so. But he's also an imperfect human. He's an imperfect character, but he seems very content with his imperfections, and I think that's also something that. You and I can't relate to. (laughs) He's just like totally okay with himself and like is not constantly sitting in shame and fear about his own imperfections. Yeah, but I Uh, I mean... That's why it's so unrelatable. For sure. I think it's also the straight white male-ness of it is that that's a possibility. Um, Yeah. But really his contentment in his own imperfections, those imperfections are very tightly linked to ideals like of masculinity. And so it's not perfections of like, oh, he, you know, isn't uh, as smart as he wants to be. He's actually really smart because he figured out what the hell went on with like all of the money and everything once he had like put two brain cells towards the endeavor and was like, oh, actually, this is what happened. But sure, it's not about like it's not about any of his achievements, anything. You know, it's, it's just about how he presents as a male in the universe. And I think. That's a huge theme in the movie in general of just like all these different types of masculinity. Every man in this movie is kind of a different uh, aspect of masculinity. You know, we have like, um, we have, uh, you know, Walter is this like uber macho manly man. We have Donnie as like a meek, uh, mild. Steve Buscemi. Yep, Steve Buscemi. Uh, Mr. Lebowski is like an old and successful businessman with the trophy wife. What's um, a man version of Crone? Like that's what he gave me. <laughs> totally. Is there totally Crane? Crane, yeah. Cran. Cr- uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Fraser, <laughs> Fraser Crane. <laughs> yeah, he's a Fraser Crane. <laughs> sure. Um, he's a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, even like the Jesus. Right, he's this very yeah. like, loud, colorful uh, man. So there's all of these different characters representing some facet of masculinity. Um, you know, they're not; they have good qualities, but they all have these bad qualities or these like yeah. weak versions of manliness that they yeah. are portraying. And so, I think you know, masculinity is a huge theme in the movie. And also, you know, the counterpart to that is there's. Uh, femininity in this movie by the two the only two women There's in this two movie. women and of course this movie didn't even get to take the Bechdel test right, let alone the women pass didn't it speak to each other but they were both Lebowski's uh but oh yeah they were yeah but you know it was also unfortunately I mean it's Madonna versus the whore or like the motherly figure versus the whore of but like, they're both just like bimbo sex objects in different ways yeah, although I think Ma... they both, literally, they both only want his dick in both scenes. In both like characters, one says, "I'll give you a blowjob for a thousand dollars." That's her first introduction yeah. after she says, "Blow on my feet." Yeah, and then the next one is literally makes him go to a doctor because she wants his child. Yeah, although you could also argue on the flip side of this that like Bunny Lebowski 
just ran off with friends to Palm Springs or whatever, had absolutely no, is not concerned with the amount of money that she owes, is doing whatever she wants, uses her sexuality to like have this lifestyle. And then Maude Lebowski is, is a, an artist, a very like sexual comfort in her, like comfortable with her own sexuality, uh, goes to the dude and uses him to procreate but has no yeah. desire for anything other than his biological specimen. You know, like there's a flip side of this where I could argue that these women are like different types of uh, femininity and, and, sure. and strength in that femininity, which oh, is absolutely. challenging to the men in this movie in different ways. Like, and their male weaknesses are uh, like uh, attacked by these women who are like in their lives. Yeah, it's an interesting, like, just portrayal of women in general in that neither one of them is particularly, like, emotional or emotionally, like, attached to well, there's, Yeah, there's the no men. character development. And yet they both want... No, but I, what I mean to say is, like, in, in terms of, like, what we think of as, like, a masculine, like, portrayal of women, mm-hmm. right? Where there's sort of these, like, you know, all of the misogynistic views of they're, like, they're, you know, over... Like, they're clingy. They're right. they're overly emotional. Right. They're, like, training him, 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 right? All of these things. Yeah. Um, and in this sense, like both of them, I mean, it's certainly, I think part of why all the men love this movie is because don't worry, 100% of the women want his dick. <laughs> That's true. Don't worry. That's this true. like lazy, like good for nothing bum. That's a, that's actually a pejorative and I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this. This lazy, good for nothing loser. Yeah. <laughs> like is just accomplishes nothing except don't worry, 100% of the women want to get with him but you know there is that something about this like effortless comfort what what that's a type of man that i think people are drawn to is people who are like yeah i'm a loser and i don't care and people are like drawn to their apathy or something yeah i think the confidence within it or if i can fix him or the like whatever of it (laughs) Uh, i can see you like rolling your eyes just like (laughs) This entire time. It was so, it was, like, I just, I I just find this to be, like, such the epitome of lazy, white, like, privilege. Of, like, you know, to me, like, oh, any straight white guy who's, like, meh, I'm just gonna whatever, bleh, is, like, like, he just is sitting in his own, like, privilege I mean, what is more masculine than that, though? You know what I mean? And maybe Woof. that's why <laughs> this resonates with so many men. Did we just put masculinity on warning? <laughs> Did we just put it on notice? <laughs> it is in trouble. Maybe. I am worried. Listen, Harry Styles is wearing a skirt on the cover of Vogue. Masculinity is in trouble, America. I mean, and that was a huge theme in this film as well is like emasculation and literally castration anxiety yes they do threaten to remove his balls there's it's a very like um sexually charged language of like men sexually dominating other men like every threat that walter has towards other men is like you know the f word and like all all of these like you would think that i would find it more exciting You would think. <laughs> I mean, I actually no. looked up. So uh, the dude says man 147 times or 1.5 mans per minute. Jeez. He also says dude 161 times. 
and the F word is used 292 times, which is more than Scarface. Wow. That is a statistics I found as I was looking up all of the a statistics. statistics. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, so this castration anxiety, just to go towards it, like one of the things that I was seeing over and over again in these kind of blog posts and essays is Freudian psychoanalytic yeah. theory. Anytime you hear people talking about genitals, go Freud. I mean, when in doubt, which, whip it out. Yeah, which sucks that's a quote because from Freud. I just, I mean, there's so many issues with psychoanalytic theory, with, uh, you know, the Oedipal complex in general, right? Yeah. So, like, there's, uh, there's a level set, right? So, there's, um, you know, the Oedipal complex really refers to this kind of psychosexual developmental period where yes. a boy develops sexual attraction towards his mother and feels competition uh, with his father. And yeah. the castration anxiety is really the fear of punishment for his childhood sexual desires. Um, right. And it's resolved when the boy learns to identify with his father instead of seeing him as competition. Uh, right. I'm going to take a beat to just talk about, like, why it's so problematic because there are, like, so many I ways. I mean, please. So this is, like, an aside. But, you know, there's sexist issues here. There's gender normative issues. There's, uh, you know, sexual abuse, uh, like, uh, forgiveness. You know, I'm just, like, yes. totally uh, not wanting to deal with that. There's a social worker, Florence Rush, who actually, uh, you know, believes that Freud intentionally ignored evidence that his patients were victims of childhood sexual abuse. Wow. Um, and misrepresented their accounts as incestuous desire uh, towards uh. their parents. Yeah, very upsetting. Uh, and he, like, developed this theory based off of that, which could have been, I mean, just the ethics of that, it, it, it's horrible. Well, there's, ethics didn't really exist at the time. Yeah, I mean, there's also, you know, it's incredibly heteronormative, right? Assuming there's a... Every family unit has a mother and a father. Um, I mean, there's. It's also really sexist in Freud in general, being very sexist because this is all about boys, mothers, you know, boys' relationships with their mothers and fathers. And there have been some efforts to talk about like the female role in this. Um, I think it's penis envy, right, versus castration yeah, anxiety. Yeah, penis envy. Uh huh. But there's this. Uh, assumption that females are just inverse males and that female sexuality is just the opposite of male sexuality and so they're like oh opposite that's what you know it is for for women and it's like completely not no thought through at all um it's no. kind of a, a well also like how many women were consulted on this exactly Zero. exactly so there's so many issues with this as a theory with this yeah as some kind of actual psychological <laughs> explanation yeah. for what's going on. But it came up a lot. It felt like I couldn't... And, and there also was just very literal right. uh, uh, points, like plot points about castration in this movie of, you know, there's the ferret tossed into the dude's bubble yes. bath. There's uh, that when he was smoking that joint and it fell into his lap and it was burning him and he was like you know, driving the car. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, symbolism. Yeah, yeah. You really went in. And then one of the dream sequences that they had were literally the nihilist, I, I believe, with scissors going towards yes. his penis. Yeah, going like, towards it, his penis. It could not be more in your face. Like, I, it would, I, there was no way for me to not talk about this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we got to talk about I his balls. But I need to say that, like, I don't 
like this as a psychological yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it just was too uh in your face to ignore so it literally i mean yeah there's also like interest i mean so the other thing that's like there's so much uh film theory like critical analysis of this film as art and as uh you know that could not really be separated. So I just got lost in that yeah. hole. There's some uh, uh, theories that, you know, Maud Lebowski is uh, serving as this kind of mother character. Um, you know, uh, they have a shared last name just because she's like a daughter doesn't mean, you know, there's still this incestual. Uh, whatever. But, you know, it's referring to maybe uh, the dude's repressed d- desire yeah. for her. Um, you know, she's in his dreams, literally subconscious, like unconscious thoughts about his desire for her. Um, yeah, and, she sort of always is above him. Yeah, and there's this yeah. literal motherhood aspect of her where she wants to have his child um, and be a mother. Um, you know, and there's some maybe competition with the big Jeff Lebowski who they literally have the yeah, same name. they literally uh, are like you know, competing like, for who is the right. If he's an older man with the same name, he could very easily serve as like the father figure in this. Um you know, and the- I mean, I wish there was like a, a information for the number of like milligrams of THC consumed by the people who wrote these articles. Yeah. Because you would have to be so stoned in order to watch this. Well, there's movie. even I mean, yeah. So that this I was like, at least sort of made sense. There's this whole other theory, which we can get to later because we're going to talk about Walter a lot. But there's yeah, this whole are. theory about how Donnie might just be a figment of Walter's imagination. Oh my god. What? Yeah, and I Who could not does this? quite get there, but there's this whole thing where like Donnie's not real because the dude doesn't interact with him that much, but I don't I don't know about that. This one I feel like could I, I could at least get on board with a little yes. bit. Um and you yeah. know, there's there's also so it could be Maud as this kind of mother repressed desire for her, but it could also be that she's a very like intimidating, powerful female that makes him feel emasculated. And maybe that's why he's repressing desire for her as well. There's a couple of reasons that like this relationship between them two is causing him Do we tension. think he's repressing desire though? In the sense that like he doesn't necessarily proactively like seek out sexy time with her, but she comes into his house and takes off her clothes and then is like, love me. Yeah. And then he does. Right. But it's, I think it's because she appears in his dreams that there's this uh, unconscious desire, right. at least. Those bonk towns dreams. Yeah. You know? Bonk towns. So that's what I'm using as evidence that there's some unconscious yeah. desire, at least. I'm sure, and I'm sure the people who wrote these papers have lots, they, they've thought about this so much more than I have. So and you much. know what? They're welcome to those thoughts. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to challenge this. This is. Uh, this is what I found, okay, about the dude. This yeah. is as far as I could get. And I need to say I agree with none of it as a, yeah. as a psychologist. Yeah. But this is, I think, what they were going for, the Coen brothers. I think this is, like, you know, where, where the story yeah. really lies. And, um, yeah. you know, that's the dude. So That's the dude. Well, so I had, like, a very... Uh, I'm so glad you researched the dude. Yeah. Because my own ambivalence about the dude. Well, I think that's very dude of you to have ambivalence ambivalence about the dude. You know what? I bet actually there are people that see me and my life and think that I have dude vibes. You you, you very well could. 
I'm a pretty like chill, chill even keeled person. person. Yeah. And and I tend to go around lots of parts of life with just sort of like, eh, we'll figure out what happens. Yeah. We'll see. Go with and the I flow. do think go with the flow. I'm a flow goer. <laughs> uh I absolutely. Am not. So, we don't need to talk about that though. Well, you know who else is not a flow goer? <laughs> Walter. Yeah. So I watched this and was so uncomfortable with this character of Walter because he is the, I mean, I think he is the anti-me in the sense that he is like deeply non-cooperative, highly combative, Mm -hmm. um, and and like very pro-guns, very racist, very like war vet, very straight, very macho. Uh, very Trumpy, very, very much so. Yeah. And he made me so uncomfortable because he is such like a nightmare person that I really wanted to look at like, okay, this trope of this guy exists, mm-hmm. right? Alex Jones is this guy. Yeah. Uh, Tucker Carlson is this guy. Like this we is and a very these, specific these guys. Type of man. Yeah, even Joe Rogan, in a way, is this guy. Yeah. Joe Rogan is sort of a mix between the dude and that guy. Mm. Um, that's sort of my that, vibe. That's a I mean, compliment Joe, to Rogan Joe Rogan seems... To, I mean, <laughs> not in my words, yeah. not in my mind. Um, Joe Rogan might be fine with it, but here's the thing. I think Joe Rogan likes who Joe Rogan is, so that's his that's own true. pill to swallow. Um, anyways, so I was really interested, I, I, you know... We talked a little bit about this beforehand, but sort of understanding like what mentally is going on with Walter. Mm-hmm. And and so I also started with the very obvious and mentioned several times trauma that yeah. he has been through, right? He he goes to his Vietnam War trauma um, often. Yep. And he mentions it and it's constantly like, he, he brings it up in almost every conversation that he yes. was in. Nam yeah. and, and shares like about the, you know, just the scary, scary things. So rather than focus on post-traumatic stress disorder, which I think he does meet probably the criteria yeah, it sounds like it. Um, in a lot of ways, but I actually wanted to look at the ways in which there's sort of two pieces of it. First and foremost, the ways in which his trauma um, led to what, what I actually would think of is like an adult version of something that you mostly see referred to in children, which is called oppositional defiant disorder. Mm-hmm. So this ODD, as it's called, um, is usually given to uh, really, really uh, outspoken, problematic, like teenage or early child-like behaviors where they're they're losing their temper, um, arguing with parents, teachers, will deliberately uh, provoke or annoy people, blames others for their mistakes, um, very easily annoyed by others, angry and resentful, spiteful, vindictive, those kinds of things, which we really see from Walter. Mm-hmm. And so I'm starting, so I kind of viewed this as like, okay, he's got this trauma. And I think in these moments when he experiences moments of feeling in any way disempowered and feeling in any way fearful, um, in any way uh, uncomfortable, and he's sitting in the moment, he experiences cognitive dissonance, which for those uh, listening, we haven't talked too much, I don't think, about cognitive right. dissonance so far. But I would I sort of define cognitive dissonance as like a, a friction somewhere between the events that are going on and your internal needs or your actions. Mm-hmm. So, or, or your, the external events or your own actions and your internal kind of needs. Or beliefs, right? 
or beliefs, right? And so that the cognitive dissonance is there is friction. And so we as humans do whatever we can to resolve yeah. cognitive dissonance. So a lot of our actions are to resolve cognitive dissonance uh, internally so that we feel okay. Mm-hmm. And so what I think is happening is he is, whenever he feels um, one-upped by someone, whenever he feels challenged, whenever he feels uncomfortable, he becomes oppositional in an effort to defeat the outside tension and therefore resolving his own cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Um, and so I think he's got this, like, this just really persistent... I mean, honestly, like, there's so many diagnoses because when you look at, like, oppositional defiant disorder to this extent, you're also looking at this point, like, an antisocial personality disorder mm. because he is so aggressively, like, uh, antagonistic to all of people, right? Like, and it's not just that he's antisocial. Again, antisocial doesn't mean doesn't socialize. Antisocial means goes against societal social norms. Um, And so this need to always win an argument, always fighting against like authority figures or society. Uh, He has a hair trigger temper. Like all of these things are consistent with all the literature about oppositional defiant disorder, but also naming this could really lead into a personality disorder. Um, And I do think it's a trauma response. Yeah. Um, I, what do you think about mm-hmm. uh, when they go into Larry's house, this child that they think stole the money because they found his oh, yeah. in the car, and his father, who's in the iron lung, yeah, is incredibly like deferential to him and his work writing on the show. It's like yeah. very respectful towards him, and I wonder yeah. how that fits into this. Because I, I would say every other scene, it's like, yeah, he's totally... Uh, like, uh, a maniac, basically, you know, just like totally, uh, out of control. Well, so this sort of leads into the, the kind of next thing that I was looking at, which is the ways in which narcissism Mm. can also be a trauma response Mm -hmm. because Walter meets a lot of the criteria in that he believes he is right. Yeah. 100% of the time he resolves his cognitive dissonance by believing he must be correct. So when he is presented with new information, he immediately sort of picks what he wants, rejects what he doesn't, and sort of ignores what he has said in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that this guy who is successful in, I mean, he's in Los Angeles, right? Mm -hmm. So this guy is a successful TV writer, which is kind of the peak Angelino. And he was a successful TV writer on a very manly show uh, where he wrote the majority of the episodes. It's probably a show that he really enjoyed. Mm And so that means this guy made something that I like, that's something that aligns with my values. Therefore, this guy is great. Yeah, do you think he identified with maybe the character within the show or something and feels a... I mean, probably. He probably identified with the character, identified with the themes, identified with the masculinity as presented in the show. Mm -hmm. You know, the the kind of way that this, this narcissism shows up being so malignant and angry and, like, aggressive and sort of like lash lashy outy yeah. is how we would call it in in clinical psychology lashy outy <laughs> um he is actually to me really reminded me of former president trump mm. in that the ways in which when he likes somebody uh, and i don't even want to give the name of these nightmare people that he likes especially right now with the news and all of the triggers Absolutely. right when he likes these people he will sing their praises sing their praises he, he look at the way he talked about different judges or different senators or different whatevers when when they praise him he praises them back 
when they align with his values, he aligns right, with exactly. he's There's thrilled this, this, to announce uh, seeing it. oneself and, in in someone else that exactly. allows them to feel exactly. that, those feelings, right? Right. And so w- as soon as there is a conflict or an inconsistency in that praise, uh, he then immediately fixes the cognitive dissonance by saying, I've never thought that person was smart. I've always thought he was a weak loser. I've always thought, I've always thought, I've always thought he's actually like this. He's actually like this. Or even if he doesn't say, I've always thought, he'll say, you know, this new information is very disappointing. And, you know, it just shows they're a weak person, right? right. Always speaks in absolutes, always speaks in these like, again. And so one of the last things that I looked at within this that I was actually really into is the concept of what is called like a national narcissism. Mm. So essentially the way in which, right, this guy represents the views of a lot of people, right? These narcissistic views where it's like America first. Again, just that statement is a narcissistic statement, right? We are above better, you know, all of these things, right? So this idea, we are speaking to an ethos and a philosophy that's actually much more widely held than a single person, which, I mean, speaking to your research, right, shows the way in which each of these characters is sort of intended to symbolize these, like, broader philosophical, you know, pedagogical views. And he, um, so modern day nationalism uh, is characterized weirdly by a need for the external recognition. We need other people to agree or to like align with our views that we are good, best, true priority, right? It's this, it's this don't say gay bill Mm -hmm. in Florida where it's like, no, no, you trying to integrate new ways for us to think is an attack on me, on my views. Therefore, you must say that traditional American values as these straight white people define them are the most important thing, right? So this need for uh, recognition of this thing is is this collective narcissism. And what ends up happening is this collective narcissism ends up both predicting undesirable inter and intra group outcomes, right? So huge conflict between groups and big conflict within groups, yeah. right? These are this is a very volatile way of thinking where um, the right is right, right? This conservative view is the true traditional way, and so. The problem is that this is not this is such a narrow-minded view yeah. of the self, of of culture, of all of these things that there's going to be friction no matter what. And so this ends up this weird collective narcissism ends up serving the self more than other in-group members. So what you end up doing is always 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 prioritizing your political views over the understanding of the experience of other people. Gotcha. Which is sort of like where he is at. And, and I do want to name, you know, and, and this is actually a, a paraphrase from something that Sarah Silverman said, who I really admire as, I, I mean, not, she's obviously not a psychologist, but she is somebody who has thought so much about her mental mm-hmm. health, the mental health of others, about psychology, about sociological and like anthropological dynamics. She thinks she's so smart. And she had this great point once where she was talking about Donald Trump And she basically said, there's something that happened where most people learn that love is the currency that they want Mm -hmm. in their life, Mm -hmm. right? Love and affection and connection. And what happened at some point in this sad boy's life is that money and success became the currency that he wants to live his life by. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people like this, right? It's what capitalism does to us, but also it's what 
you know, we can uh, give all of the the ways in which we can assume about the neglect that he must have had in his Absolutely, childhood or yeah. blah, blah, blah. I don't actually care because yeah. he's a bad person. But that what suffice it to say, right, that like the reasons people act like this is not just because there are good people and bad people, right? The reasons they are reacting like this is the trauma of their past has shifted their own reward pathway mm-hmm. in their mind. And so this guy, Walter... The only way he can feel safe is if every single person in this room is scared of him. Yeah. And he, there's a scene where he pulls out a gun because somebody has like a a line foul in bowling. Yeah. And he pulls a gun on somebody in the bowling alley, which is like, to to me, like this is such like a unbelievably aggressive and violent act that like I actually find this film to be really offensive. Just even that like we're entertaining we're even giving a fake microphone to right, a person like right. this and supposed to kind of let him be on our side. Um, we're supposed to be on that team. And so it's very hard for me to even like look at someone who reacts that way yeah. and have compassion. Granted, if he was sitting in my chair in therapy, I'd spend the time with him to be like, okay, why are well, you reacting course, this way? Because that would indicate some kind of acknowledgement or willingness to do something about yeah. his behavior. but. You know, I was really uh, interested in the juxtaposition between Walter and Donnie and what is the role that Donnie, like, served in this movie. And I think, like, you know, as these kind of peripheral characters to the dude, like, Walter is very much the fight response, right? And Donnie very much the, the flight response. And maybe, you know, Walter needed Donnie around so that he could berate him, so that he could feel superior, so that he could feel this sense of, like, I am, you are intimidated by me, and I need to feel that constantly, to your point. And that is the function you serve for me, even though all I do is abuse you. You know, it almost feels like like an id, ego, super ego kind of balance. You know, I was trying to go into that, and I couldn't resolve it, because I think, like, uh, Walter is the super ego, and I couldn't figure out whether... Walter is the super yeah, ego. I couldn't figure out whether Donnie or the dude was which one was id and which one was ego. I think that so so id we've talked about id before on here. So id is the um, sort of child inside, right? It is the the impulses, pleasure principle. Yeah. Your impulses, you it is your inner kid in a candy store. Yeah. Just go react how you want to react. Yeah. Live your life. Um, the the ego is the th- sort of central balance. Your ego is sort of your logical mind. It's rooted in um, reality. That, that is rooted in reality. So actually to be an ego-driven person from Freud is is exactly how you want to yep. be. You want logic to be, and and your super ego is rules. Yep. Strictness right is a lot of shoulds. Yeah. Yep. Your sense of right and wrong. And so Walter, his sense of right and wrong, he is screaming it yes. constantly yes. in a way that's deeply unpleasant. Uh, the dude is just kind of going about his day, doing what he wants to do, living his life, taking it easy. Again, sort of a a child, right? right? A boy. And I guess Donnie is kind of the one who, like, when he speaks up and scenes, is sort of like, should we... Do we want to maybe just, like... I'll go go get us another, like, frame, or I don't know what bowling does. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of the dude being a very present... Uh, character, it makes sense that he would be the ego, like this kind of rooted in reality, and uh, him also being the central character in the movie. The egos is resolving the super ego and the id, like the tension there, right? And so yeah. But then I just, I don't see, I don't get where Donnie, 
fits in because he could yeah, also be I mean, this little tiny voice of reason. I could see Johnny being the ego as well as this very like silent voice of reason that, but I don't know. Or maybe, I mean, if he's the id, it is very clear that he is extinguished at the end. The resolution yeah. is in favor of the superego. Woof. Yeah. Which this film is so not about the superego. It's not. Yeah. So it It's really not. I could, yeah. I'm not fully, uh, yeah. I haven't fully sorted that one out. And, and, you know, I'm sure we'll find a paper on it. I'm sure it's been written. Oh, for sure. It, it got definitely wrote. has, yeah. It got wrote. Yeah. What a trip. Yeah, this, this pick, I mean, I think, you know, as a cultural phenomenon, as a very, like, um, metaphor and, like, surrealist kind of film was interesting to kind of pick apart but it also I mean yeah it was not made for us and so it was a huge challenge for me in that way to kind of tease that apart yeah I mean I find it really infuriating that like we've found such like rich depth in so many other things and to hear that like this movie is the one that like gets all of this like philosophical like love and attention yeah uh is really like frustrating, <laughs> but also like I just want to only like if I could major in like Julia Roberts studies yeah. in college, totally. like I would have. Or at least a so smile. like, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my yeah. life. That's the thing. I'm Catherine Wat- Watkins. No idea. Yeah, Do- Catherine Watson, okay. Doctor Watson. I presume they they make that joke. Gotcha. Catherine Watson. Yeah, you know what? We should do that movie soon. We should do that movie. We should do that movie soon. Y'all need some more. I think we need some more Jew Robs. I, we're we're ready. Yeah. We're ready. Y- y'all, we're this is like ten films in. We this since is as we've long done, as we we're can like, go. I'm sorry. This is as, yeah. Every ten movies, we're gonna need a, a Julia yeah, Roberts. At least, yeah. Um, fun fact: she's actually gonna guest on the pod <laughs> in a few months. Um, but she's only gonna guest on the pod if we get up to ten thousand listeners per episode yeah. so she said she'd only guessed when we hit ten thousand. So, so y'all gotta really like do like pound the pavement totally. you know what we'll print Let's stickers and you can like put them out there yeah. really make it happen moving shaking i have been dr jd barton and i have been dr joanna witkin follow us on instagram at real psych send us dms tell your friends about us rate and review yes. And uh, we will be back in two weeks, older, wiser, and ready to rip, roar, and Roberts. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry sorry. that I did that. Okay. All right. Well, we love you. We miss you. Bye-bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.